My husband is my one. Yes, I was her one. Since she didn't give up, I gave my heart to the Lord, and faithfully I turned Calvary. Even though we were going through some difficult times, our one concern was my son, Brandon. He was our one concern. I was my parents' one. Now I'm happier than I've ever been. Uh, I've got a wonderful son, a wonderful wife. I couldn't ask for anything more. Uh, I feel like my life is back together. And it was all because I was my parents' one. It's so important to understand to build the church, you build the church one by one. And let me encourage you today to realize this has been a great journey for Calvary, but the best is yet to come. morning. Praise the Lord. It's so good to see everybody. Hey, listen, we have a giveaway and we'll try to come back to the giveaway in a little bit. I, I just want to kind of jump into some things with you this morning. It's so good to see everybody. You look great today. Can I get a All right. Well, uh, today I, I want you to take your Bibles with me and turn to, to uh, Matthew chapter 9, turn to Matthew chapter 25, and then turn over to Luke chapter 15. Yeah, man, we love breaking apart God's Word, and we're going to move around today a little bit in, in God's Word. We're, we're starting this, this, this brand new series. It's um, brand new kind of with an old twist. Well, no, it's, it, it's old maybe with a new twist. Um, we're, we're doing this series called Encore, as you see, and basically what we're doing 
it's we are revisiting um, the teaching series that you voted that you wanted an encore of. Over the last month, we have allowed you to vote on the three teaching series. We gave you all of them. There were 10 or 11 from last year, and we allowed you to vote on your top three um, from last year that you would like for us to revisit. So we, over the next three weeks, are going to revisit those top three that you chose. And we're going to take them and look at them in synoptic form. And in fact, let me just say this to you. I didn't get to, to, to talk with you last week. I didn't get to, to preach last Sunday. So today, um, I, I just got it in me. We, we, we may be here a few minutes longer today. Um, uh, in fact, the, the series that we're going to look at today, last summer I, I, I gave this series, and it was actually a five-week series. And, and so I'm, I've condensed it down into about three weeks, and we're going to do all three weeks today. Just kidding. <laughs> Y'all are crazy. Um, we're, but, but, but we are. We're looking at the series. Here's the first series that I want us to look at um, this, this week. It's, it was the number one series that you voted number one. And no pun intended, but it was the series called One. We looked at this series. Everybody say with me, One Team. Say it again. One team. On three, real loud. One, two. One on three. That would be one, two, three. One, two, three. One team. We've looked at this series called One Team. It, let me tell you what, what one is. Let me tell you what the purpose of the church is. The purpose of the church is to fill these chairs and to see lives changed. Just maybe someone will come in, be a guest, first-time guest, or have been here for 40 years. Maybe they'll come in, sit down in this chair, and somehow, some way, they'll sense something, they'll hear something, they'll see something that will forever change their lives. See, it's all about the one that will sit in each and every one of these chairs. See, God's all about the one. God's all about it. He's so concerned with the one. Last summer I I gave this series. I I, I just want to say to you that this this one concept, the dynamic of, of one has absolutely just wrecked me spiritually. And let me say this, I, I, all the way through last night at about 2 in the morning, I was working on, on today's talk, which normally it's packaged and put away, and, but it's, I've completely rewritten it today. And so I, I may be a little more beholden to my notes than normal, but, but I, I think God wants us to look at, at some new concepts of the one. Let me say this again, this whole concept, the dynamic of one, it's wrecked me spiritually. I kind of feel like Isaiah after he saw this vision of God and, and after he saw this vision of, of God, he was like, God, why? Why did you allow me to see this? I'm wrecked. I'll never be the same. It's kind of what this series did for us as a church. It, it changed the dynamics of our church. It changed the culture of our church last summer. It changed me. Let me explain to you. You see, 
when a person comes in to, to the church, it's not by happenstance, it's not by coincidence. If you're here today, it's not just by coincidence that you're here. You see, you walk into church, and when you come, it is a divinely orchestrated entrance that God has prepared for your life. In other words, God has trusted us with the souls of the one. When they come marching down these aisles and they come in and they find a seat and the ushers help them or whatever the case may be, and they sit down, God has trusted us with their souls. He's trusted us with it. You see, and if we don't do our jobs right, if we don't recognize them, acknowledge them, love on them, show appreciation to them, we... we If we don't do that, we have broken the trust of God because God is trusting us with their soul. Listen, not just Pastor Mark, but you. You see, and here's the thing that really wrecks me spiritually is that this, that divinely orchestrated moment, their entrance into church, if we mess up and and, and they they come and they experience church but they don't experience you, uh, just that could just quite possibly be the difference between heaven or hell and that wrecks me because we have a a job to do you see God is is about the one I, I don't know how God doesn't how he can kind of get tunnel vision and hone it down to the individual but he can it's not just about the masses for him but he can somehow focus on you as an individual You see, why? Because one turns into several ones, and several ones turn into several hundred ones, and then several hundred ones turn into several thousand ones. You see, it's kind of the way it works. Many of you know that over the last several weeks, I've been battling this respiratory infection, just can't get get rid of it. I lose my voice from time to time. I'm running fevers. I've got congestion in my chest. And it's just been kind of an ongoing battle for several weeks. Well, I remember a few weeks ago coming home, or maybe a week and a half or so ago, coming home after a day here at the office, and it was late one evening. I went to our medicine cabinet and opened it up, and I grabbed a thermometer, and I stuck it in my mouth. Knew I had a fever, and I was just trying to make sure that I, I didn't, but I felt like I did. And I was thinking to myself, man, I hope I didn't give something away to someone at the office today. And as I'm checking my my temperature, my health, if you will, I begin to think of this concept. I I wish it were possible to take a thermometer and stick it into the church (laughs) to test the health of the church. You see, healthy things grow. And we have experienced phenomenal growth. That's incredible. I mean, that's awesome. But you know, if you're really going to check the health of the church and you're going to use a thermometer to do it, that thermometer is going to have to have the ability to, cha- to gauge not just how you're growing, but it's going to have to be able to gauge what you're giving away. Think about that for a second. It's got to have the ability to gauge what we're giving a- a- away a- as, a- as a church. You see, when you're sick, sometimes you give away the germ. What are we as a church giving away? Because that's the the, the most important thing. You see, the true health of the church, the true 98.6 of the church, is what we're giving away. 
You see, when God is doing something in your life, we are supposed to take that something and give it away. If God is giving you love, you're supposed to take that love and give that love away. And believe it or not, God is is supremely concerned with what we're giving away. And believe this or not, but we give away something every week. And I don't mean the gift that's behind the Encore banner. We give something away every single week. Let me explain to you. You see, a person can come in the back door and find a seat and we can have an awesome service and the spirit can fall and people are excited and it's great and they say, wow, man, that was a good church experience. But if we never acknowledged them, embraced them, got outside of our comfort zone and met them and greeted them and um, uh, you know, just, just acknowledged who they were and recognized them, if we don't do that, we, meaning you, don't do that, you know what we gave away? They leave the church that day saying, well, you know what? The service was pretty good, but nobody saw me. It was pretty unfriendly. We gave away unfriendliness. And that's not who we are. But you see, the alternative could happen, and and they could come into the church for the first time, second time, or the 400th time, and we acknowledge them, we recognize them, we embrace them, we love on them, and we do everything that you can do, and and they leave with this gift that we gave them. Oh, man, the people in that church are absolutely awesome. I would rather them say the people in that church are absolutely awesome than to say the pastor is absolutely awesome. Do you hear me? Now, saying I'm awesome occasionally is not too bad either. (laughs) But what we're giving away should create incredible God moments in the life of the one. Did you hear me? What we're giving away should create incredible God moments in the life of the one. Let me tell you something. People are searching for things. People are absolutely scouring the earth searching for things. Let me tell you the three things real quick that people are looking for. People are searching. You've got your worship director. You can follow along with me. I may have to get it from you to to preach this this morning. Um, People are looking for, for three things. They're looking for... A sense of belonging. They're looking and searching for trusting relationships. People want to be acknowledged. They want to be recognized. They want to be embraced. They they want to be loved. People are searching for that. That's the number one thing people are searching for. So when they come in, they're searching for that. The second thing that people are, are, are so searching for is hope. In a world that is hinged upon hopelessness, people are searching for hope. They're searching for hope for their marriages. They're searching for hope with their jobs. They're searching for hope in their finances. They're searching for hope with their kids, hoping and praying that their kids will not have to endure some of the junk that they have. People are searching for hope. And number three, people are searching for answers. In a world that is full of nothing but difficult question after question after question, people are searching for answers. You know what blows me away is that the three top things that people are looking for are are the things that we as a church do best. It's our strengths. It's a sense of belonging, trusting relationships. It's hope. And it's answers. 
Those are the three things that we as a church should specialize in. That is what God says that we should specialize in are are, are those things. You see, the things that people are looking for, we have. And to be perfectly honest with you today, it is too high of a risk. The stakes are too high for us not to do our job right. Whatever you did to the one, you did it to me. And then he goes and he begins to spill the beans about the goats. And he says, here's the deal with the goats. The goats didn't do anything. When I was hungry, they didn't give me anything. When I was thirsty, they didn't give me anything. When I was sick, they didn't help me. When I needed clothes, they they didn't give me any. When I was in prison, they didn't come to visit me. They, They didn't do a thing. And then he says this in verse 45. He says, I'll tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of these, you did not do for me. You see, when we treat those who occupy these chairs right, we're treating God right. When we don't treat them right, we're mistreating God. You see, the central theme here in these passages of Scripture that we're looking at is this, is that God has a a desire for us to, to move into the significance. He wants us to refuse to be insignificant. You see, when Jesus was was going through these passages, he was showing us that we must refuse to be insignificant. He reached out and healed the paralyzed guy. This guy had been insignificant all through life, but he healed him. Matthew, come and follow me. He gave him significance. We talk about Matthew today. You see, he was saying you must refuse to be insignificant. You see, we're supposed to be just like Christ. We have to refuse to be insignificant. We have to make sure that our lives, when they intersect with others, when they come into this place, that we do the things that Jesus did. When I was a stranger, you took me in. You see, what's happening in these verses is that Jesus is a there-you-are person. You see, he's recognizing people, and he's getting outside of himself, and he's saying, oh, there you are. Here's some hope. Oh, there you are. Here's some love, and here's some relationship. Here's a sense of belonging. Oh, oh, there, there you are. Here's the answer. Are you a there you are person? Are you? Because we must be a there you are person. It can't be about us. It's got to be about others. You see, the bottom line is this. Jesus is calling us to a life of, of risk. He's telling us you must refuse to be insignificant. And in order to do that, you've got to be a risk taker. Are you taking risks for Jesus? That's the question that I think you need to answer today. Are you taking risks? For Jesus. What are you risking? You see, in our culture, we don't like to risk anything. (laughs) Risk today is not a good thing. Rather rather than than risking things, we tend to embrace mediocrity. And and therefore, we we settle for for insignificance because we want to hold on to security. But let me tell you something. We as a church, if we don't risk we're risking way too much. If we don't risk and do the things that God wants us to do for the one, we risk this chair not being full, and that's unacceptable. Do you hear me? Can I get a whoop whoop? All right. You see, we risk quite a bit. You know, what are you risking? That's the question that I want to ask you. What are you risking? So that one might be changed. Because if you're coming into the church and you're sitting down and you're just absorbing. But you're not meeting and greeting and being a servant and doing this and that. You're missing possibly what God wants to do in and through you to bring significance to others. 
And so I, I want to help you today by looking at one more passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 15. I want us to extract out of this passage, and I, I want you to give me 10 more minutes, and I'm going to try to cruise through this. I want to look at this passage because in this passage, I want us to extract out of this passage what God is trying to teach us about the one. How he wants us to, to expand our commitment and to, to commit together to the concept of, of the one. And Before we can really look at 15, we need to look at the last three verses of chapter 14. Look at the last three verses of chapter 14. The last three verses of chapter 14 of Luke sets up what's happening in chapter 15. You see, here's, here's what happens in, in, in chapter 14. Jesus comes in, these people are following Jesus, and they're all saying, man, we want to belong to your church that you're building. We want to be a part of your church, man. It's an awesome church. And so Jesus looks at him and says, okay, you want to be a part of this church? Then here's what you've got to do. Look at verse 33. He said, in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Let's hit the brakes here for a second. Hold on, Jesus. You want me to give up everything? I'm not comfortable with giving up everything. I got to give up everything? Man, that sounds pretty risky. I mean, it does. It sounds very, very risky. But, but here's the deal. If we don't give up everything, we, we risk quite a bit. There, there's a consequence to it. In fact, let me show you something. Look at verse 34. And verse 34 says this. It says, salt is good. You're salt. You're the church. Salt is good. But if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? You see, what Jesus is, is saying to us is that we're the flavor. We're the preserving agent. We are the ones who have the ability to bring change to others. He wants us to use that. In other words, he wants us to, to be risk takers, to bring significance to others, to be willing to invest. You're the salt. You have the ability to bring change to others. But you know what happens when you lose your saltiness? Look at verse 35. Verse 35 is strong. It says, when you lose your willingness to invest in others, your willingness to be a life changer, to bring significance to someone else's life, he says this, it is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. Now, I just want to tell you what that means. That's pretty significant. That is a pretty grotesque term for Jesus to use. Picture the manure pile. He says, you're not even worth that. I know that's ugly, but in today's vernacular, and I'm going to be just as grotesque as Jesus was, that means that if you lose your willingness to invest and to bring significance to others, if you don't do that, you're not even worth a flush. Some of you are like, I, I'm, I'm just being honest with you this morning. That, that's what Jesus said. Not being grotesque. I'm just telling you how you must view yourself if you are outside of what God wants you to do for the one. Then he says you'll be thrown out. In other words, the only thing you're fit for is the trash. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the king of the landfill. I don't care to, to reside there. And then he says this in verse 35. He says, he who has ears, let him hear. In other words, what he's saying is you cannot miss this with your faith. It has to be there. 
Then he jumps into chapter 15, and in chapter 15, he says, okay, that's what you have to do. Now let me tell you what you do with it. Let me tell you where you place your investment. This part is what I I love. Now understand something here in verse 4. Let me read it to you in verse 4. Jesus says, okay, you have to be a risk taker. You have to invest, bring significance. Suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Wow. Now, Jesus is speaking to the church. The church is not a building. The church is you. You're the church. Jesus is saying to you, are you going to be a servant leader? Are you going to be about bringing significance to others? Are you going to invest? Are you going to go after the one? Are you going to pay attention to the one who's sitting possibly around you at church or maybe even at home or at the office? Are you going to be a risk taker? You see, today I'm asking you, church, to partner with us to bring significance into the lives of others. You see, that's what Jesus was saying, bring significance. to. I'm asking you to be uh, a greeter. I'm asking you to be a servant. I'm asking you, listen, you don't have to have a greeter tag to walk around here and greet people. All you got to do is reach out and love the people that are sitting around you. You see, by the way, right now in this message, did you know that three, over 3,000 people have died somewhere in the world in that short amount of time? Over 3,000. You see... I'm asking you to be a part of this. Here's the concept of the church when you look at these verse, this verse and this passage. is that Jesus, the church, Jesus wants us to strategize. To strategize to do the uncomfortable things when it comes to the one who will occupy this chair. Because in fact, you see, it says in the Bible in verse 4 that he had to leave the 99 sheep in open country. That means those sheep had the opportunity to go... Get out of there. He had to leave 99 sure things to go after the one that was gone. He was looking after the one, and the Bible says that he picked up the one, he found it, brought it back on his shoulders. Let me show you something else in verse 8. Look down at verse 8. It's pretty uncomfortable to leave 99 sure things and go after the one. It's pretty uncomfortable to get out of your seat and go across the other side of the church and say, hey, I've never seen you before. I love you, man. It's glad, I'm glad you're here. we got an awesome pastor. I was just seeing if you were listening. Uh, now now look, look at, at verse 8. This woman, she loses a coin. She has 10 of them, and she loses one. Look what it says. It says, does she not do something uncomfortable? She begins to work. Does she not light a lamp? Does she not sweep the house? Does she not search carefully until she finds it? She goes after the one. She takes this, this broom and this light and she goes all around the room looking for the one. Can you imagine with me how awesome it would be for us to go all around the room here looking for the one? Because there's 400 ones here today. Could you imagine with me how awesome that, that would be? You see, we must strategize. We must purpose. You see, when I began to think about this verse 8 and this verse 4, I began to think about the purpose of the church. You see, the purpose of the church, it's very simple. It's to show the world or to show Fayetteville the goodness of God. It's to shine a light. It's to pull out the lamp and to to light the chair. To make it accessible for people to to, to come. See, to, to light something up. You see, that's what this woman did. And when I began to think about this lamp thing, I began to think about the Old Testament. 
in the Old Testament, did you know the lamp was one of a few pieces of furniture that God said must be in the tabernacle? And do you know where the lamp was supposed to be? He even said, not only does it have to be in the tabernacle, but it must be in a certain place. Now, here's what's beautiful about this. The priest, his primary job was to keep that lamp lit and to make sure it never went out. And the lamp was supposed to be beside of the table of showbread. The table of showbread was there to highlight the significance of God, the presence of God, and the provision of God. The lamp was there to shine down on God. You see, where we place the lamp, the love, the giving, the acceptance, the answers, the hope for people who come in, makes that chair accessible. It, it, it. Our job, church, is simple. It's illumination. It's illumination. It's to shine a light that highlights God's goodness and reveals God's Son in order that the world can understand and know Him. Because when the light is positioned right, the chair will fill up with souls. Do you hear me? With, with, with souls. You see, the lady in this, in this story, she found the coin because she kept moving the light, looking for the coin. Are you moving the light? And what are you doing for the one? She became a servant leader. She became intentional about being a servant leader, about shining the light. She came to the realization that she had to do that. You see, we must do that in order for people to find the chair and come to the realization of God. You see, church, we have a strategy here at the church, and we need your help with the strategy. You see, we have a, tr- a strategy. We, we have done this thing called guesterization for the church. Let me give you the, the definition of guesterization. To guesterize means that we have made this church accessible for guests so that when they come, they just might come back. We, we, we have made it available for them to come in and made it easy for them to return. We've guesterized the place. You see, we have a strategy. But in order for us to go to the next level, let me tell you something. Our strategy to reach four to 500 people has worked for us. It's worked. But it won't work for us to go to seven, eight, nine hundred, 900, or 1,000 people. The strategy now requires you. It requires your help. You see, the staff of this church can only take the church so far. Now we've got to have like several hundred staff members to join us. And that's you. Let me just tell you something really quick that, that may help you understand something that maybe you've never thought about. You see, when you come into service today, it, it, this is not a one-man show. I cannot tell you the number of people that it takes to make this thing happen. In fact, I can tell you the number of people. It takes almost 100 people to pull off a Sunday morning worship experience. We've got 16 people on the stage doing worship. We've got 14 ushers that are helping you. We've got about 20 greeters that are stationed somewhere here in the church. We've got two sound people. We've got two video people. We've got 20 workers or so down the hall doing early childhood development. We've got another eight workers in kidtricity. We've got about 20 people that help us do Life Academy. We've got parking lot greeters. We have people who set up the tents, and we have people who set up the flags when you come in that say, Welcome to Calvary. It takes 100 people. You see, were it not for those 100 people every Sunday who come and say, I want to be about the one, you wouldn't experience what you experience here. 
You see, God wants us to, to go to the next level, and it's going to require something of you to go to the next level. Let me say this as I'm beginning to wind down. We need you to partner with us. We're, we're about to go to a second service. We're like this close. But in order to do that, it's going to take another 30 servants. Another 30 people who refuse to be insignificant. And we, we, we need that. We need you to help us roll out the red carpet for guests and for others. We, we need you to help us do that. In fact, I want to do something with you real quick. Just stand to your feet. And don't get too anxious that we're about to get out because... Uh, I'm going to sit you back down. But I want you to do something with me. I, this is going to be kind of awkward, okay? I want everybody to just kind of do your hands like this real quick. Okay. Now, I, I want you just to kind of, don't do this until I tell you, but I want you to kind of turn around to three or four people that are around you. And I want you just to acknowledge them like you don't know them and could care less about them. Okay? Now, hold on. Don't do it. I want you, look, this is going to be awkward. I said it was. I want you just to turn around and just acknowledge them like, you know, you don't know them. Hey, man, what's up? And that you could care less about them. Okay, I, I want you to do that. I'm going to give you about 30 seconds to do it, and I want everybody to be involved with it. I, I, okay? And I'm not talking about your wife sitting next to you. You probably do that already. I don't, what's up? <laughs> All right, here's what I want you to do. I want to give you 30 seconds. Go. Hey, I, I said act like you don't care about them. You're all laughing. Okay. okay, okay, all right, all right. Now, here's what I want you to do. Over the next 30 seconds, I want you to turn around, and I want you to act like the people that are around you are like your best friends in the world, and you haven't seen them in months, and you're just so excited to see them. Good to see you, buddy. I love you. Hey, watch out, buddy. What's up, boy? Hey, listen. Do you see the climate change here? Yeah. Do you see the difference? Yeah. You see, that's the way church is supposed to be. Amen. Can, can, Hey, he just, he just came in, so he missed it. So we need to, like, grab and love and hug on him real quick. Just, just get, uh, I'm teasing. Listen, sit back down, and I'm going to close this thing out. <sighs> one. We are giving you opportunity to join the one team. If you're not a part of the one team, please be a part of the one team. It's in the pouch in front of you. So you can sign it and say, hey, listen, I want to be a part of the one team. And listen, if you don't get a call from us in the next week or two, that's fine. Listen, you, you, you still are a part of the one team because when you come in and sit down, you've got to be about the one that's sitting in this chair that's beside of you, in front of you, behind you. Can I tell you? I don't want to scare any of you, but the, the honest truth to the fact is this, is that God has wrecked my spirit because... 
He's called us to be a mega church. And I don't know if that's difficult for you to put your arms around, but it is for me. And so we're asking you to come and join us. Because it, it doesn't matter how good the staff is, and they're great. It matters how good you are. And you're great. And you must refuse to be insignificant. Join us. There's so many places for you to join and, and to help us and to be a part of the one team. And The last thing that I, I think is on in your worship directory is accountability. Let me say this to you as our pianist is coming back. God, and through this passage of Scripture, God is, Jesus is just really talking about the accountability. Go after the one, find the one, go after the one, find the one, go after the one, find the one, pass out love, hope, answers. He's all about it. He's all about it. But there's something that he says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 5, that just scares me to death. He says that he will remove from the church that does not do the one right. He will remove the lamp. That's not an option. It's not an option for us. Because the one matters. We wear these one bracelets, by the way. I have a few hundred more that we ordered. They're yours for free. Stop by the, the bookstore on the way out and grab one. It just says one. I've worn mine. It's not come off my wrist since August 8th. Every time I look at it, I think of the one, not only the one that sits in these chairs, not only you, but the one that I'm around every day. In fact, there are people in here today that I have invited to church and who have become a part of this church, and they have invited their friends to church, and they've become a part of this church. And I coached a baseball team last, last spring, and, and, and when I went in to coach this baseball team, I, I didn't go in to coach the baseball team. In fact, the, the athletic director at the Kiwana Center said, I need a coach, and you've coached in the past, and I, I just need you to coach. And I said, no, my son's playing, and I coached my other boys, and they hated baseball because I was their coach. And I, I, I don't want to do it again. And, and so um, we agreed we were not going to coach, and so we went in for the meeting, and when we got in there, the place was full of parents, and, and I, I said, there's no coach in here. So all of a sudden, he walks down the hallway, and he looks at me and he says, no coach. So he stands up in front of the crowd of people and he says, um, listen, we got some bad news. There, there's no coach and I just need somebody in here to coach. And my arm went just straight up like that. My wife looked at me like, we just agreed we were not going to do this. We don't have the time. And I didn't really know why. But here we are months later and we have two families in this church as a result of that baseball team. They've brought families. God's all about the, the one. I know I'm over time, but I'm going to close like this. We've instilled something called the 10-minute rule. I asked somebody beside of you what that is. There's no need to me explaining. But I'm reminded of the story of the boy who was this businessman. He'd gone out to the beach for a, a conference and he 
goes out and onto the beach early in the morning. She's going to walk up and down the beach. And as he's walking up and down the beach very, very early in the morning, he sees this young kid just picking starfish up and slinging them into the water. And there's like hundreds of thousands of starfish that have washed ashore. And he's grabbing one and he's slinging it. He's grabbing another. And this man is walking ever so close and getting closer and closer and closer. And just as he gets to talking distance with the boy, he says, son, why are you doing this? Look at the hundreds of thousands, the millions of starfish that are out. You cannot make a difference. And the boy looked up at him, reached down and grabbed another starfish and threw it as hard as he could back into the water. He said, but I made a difference for that one. Help us. Help us. Stand to your feet.